Good morning, everybody. We're back. We are, good morning to our uh, YouTube uh, audience as well. We are deep now into a series on dynamic family, and uh, it's been a lot of fun, and I think we've all learned a lot. We've, um, we've talked about how our identity in, in uh, Christ and how God views us, what God's done for us, and how the Holy Spirit empowers us, uh, helps, out to, helps us to uh, live out these principles of the one another passages from the New Testament of uh, serving one another, uh, encouraging one another, admonishing one another, confessing to one another, and today we're going to talk about forgiving one another. And um, so last week, Dan uh, uh, was talking about confession. And uh, so confession really is bringing sin into the light so that it no longer has its power over us. So getting our sin out of the darkness into the light so that we can be healed, as it says in James and, and other passages and so forth. And so with confession, though, there are really two types of confession. First is a personal issue. So this would be, you know, going to a brother or a sister and saying, you know, I'm really, I'm struggling with lust or pornography or addiction or anger or that kind of thing. And it's really um, an issue that's between you and God, right? And it can be other people involved as well, but really the heart of the issue is a, is a personal matter. The other type of confession is not a personal issue, but rather a personal offense. And so this is when the sin is against another person. And so in, the, um, uh, in a situation of a personal offense, then there is a a progression then from confession to forgiveness. So not only is the confessor, um, let me get to the right slide here, not only is the, uh, the person who is confessing um, involved in this, but the person who is sinned against uh, is as well. And so there is this, bur- <coughs> excuse me, this burden of reconciliation that both are involved in now. And so in order for that to be... Um, uh, successful, then both people really have to work towards mutual reconciliation. Reconciliation really is just agreeing to be friends, agreeing to continue loving one another. And so it doesn't mean forgetting, and we're going to talk about all of that stuff here as well. But um, So let's talk about forgiveness. The definition of forgiveness really is to let go, to send away. And it means to give up the right to pay somebody back when you've been offended. And it doesn't just stop there, though. It also means to assume the responsibility to move, move towards that person in love. And that's really the catch, because it's so easy to say, oh, yeah, I've, I've, I've forgiven that person. And then we just move on, or we cut them off, right? And uh, um, <clears throat> congratulations to the, uh, I was really impressed with the, with the, the cell group, junior high cell group girls, they really have a, uh, a great grasp on what real forgiveness is. And so forgiveness really is, it's so important because it is central to Christian love. It's really, in, in a large part, what the basis of God's love is for us and how we love one another. Um, so last week, Dan shared a video about uh, a couple. It was kept anonymous and, and was read by our uh, drama team. 
and um, that uh, suffered an affair in their marriage. And that video was so powerful. Uh, not only did it show uh, just an accurate picture of what it looks like to struggle with unconfessed sin, but then also to move through uh, the pain and that struggle and that battle of forgiveness. So what we're going to do today is we're going to go back to that video, but we're not going to show the whole thing. We're going to start right at the point of confession and get to look again um, and hear again as this couple moves through the forgiveness aspect. It was after church, and I had decided this was the day. We sat on the couch in the front room, and I told him I had something heavy to tell him. Have you ever felt that sinking feeling like something terrible has happened? You'll understand. I always assume that it's me that's in trouble when I hear the words, I need to tell you something. I thought at first that I had done something wrong to warrant the seriousness of this talk. About seven years ago, I had an affair. The silence hung in the air like a wet wool blanket. I still love you, my husband responded. I still love you. Of all the responses I could have anticipated, this wasn't even on the radar. He had every right to leave me, and instead he responded with, I still love you. Hearing your spouse say the words, I have to tell you something, I had an affair, makes your brain go all kinds of places. Questions come to mind immediately, like, who is it with? Nick from work. Well, how long was this for? About two years. When did it happen? It started New Year's Eve of 2007. How did it happen? I would leave early for work and when you were out of town. I asked those questions, but none of the answers really mattered in that moment. February 8th, 2015. Today was the day. This is the only way to have the marriage we need and the only way I can be the person God wants me to be. I don't see it as being an easy road, but a much better one. My thoughts were focused on only one thing. How could I be such a fool? How did she do this to me when I had no idea it was happening? Even after the affair ended, he was over at our house all the time, playing with the kids and bringing them gifts. I felt like everyone knew except me, and that's what felt worst of all. Knowing I had been played and was looked at as the fool every time he was around. Like, I'm your wife right now under your nose. Hearing her confession immediately moved me from ignorant fool to someone who knew they had been played. I was angry and sad, and aside from those two feelings, I was dead inside. I couldn't focus at work and listen to heavy metal all day to fuel the anger. There was no longer trust in our relationship, and I didn't know if I'd ever be able to forgive her, even though I still loved her. It hurt to be in the know. It hurt a lot, but I think it would have hurt more the longer I had gone without knowing. I felt as if the last seven years had been a total lie. I kept thinking about moments we had had together, vacations we took together, and how they were all now this huge lie that had been told to me. I wanted to reject any good that was a part of those years, feeling like they were all now tainted. I remember leaving in the middle of church service, our kids and kids' life, and going out to the car to cry together and hold each other. 
We couldn't stand to sit in service and put on a face like everything was just fine, but we did. I remember what it was like to come back inside from that and have someone ask me if I was okay. It was so hard to hold this weight, just the two of us. I felt like now I was living a lie. I had to at least tell the people around me what was going on. We had weekly family dinners at my parents, so I wanted to tell them. We did. We told them together, and they opened up about some of the brokenness in their lives. I dreaded each one of these confessions, his parents, mine, a few other safe people. It was mostly to new friends at LCC, and I expected people to forever look at me in disgust and write me off. And you know what the response was that I consistently got? It was hugs and tears and a deep sense of being known. And we needed that. My husband especially needed that. The weeks went by, and I moved through the stages of loss. Denial, anger, I stayed here for a while, bargaining, depression, and finally, acceptance. This had happened, and I had better try to figure out what was next. I wanted to move our family across the country. I almost took a job far away from Ohio just to have the chance to start over and put all this behind us. That's not what happened, though. Instead, it was a slow, painful process of God beginning to reveal areas in my life that were pretty ugly. As I began to see my selfishness and my brokenness, it opened up the door to thinking about forgiveness. If God could forgive me, maybe I could forgive her for what she did to me. It's never quite that easy, though. I came to a realization that I was only putting a wall between us by holding out on forgiveness. So, I decided to forgive. The hard part about forgiveness is that it's not just a one-time thing. It's a choice to make day after day after day. I still have to make that choice even years later. Before forgiveness, though, came a lot of broken dreams. We had dreamed about working on something together. It was just too painful to think about doing that anymore, and I said that. I said I no longer had that dream, that I just didn't want to work together on something outside of our relationship. That hurts to admit that, and it hurt her to hear that. And then came the whisper of promises. I will restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten, and my people shall never again be put to shame. The Lord will pour out his spirit, and it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. Five years later, I'm thankful for where we are. We're still working on our marriage, and there are still struggles as a result of the affair. God has taken me on a journey and showed me things that I wouldn't have learned outside of going through all of this. God's grace to give me what I wanted, control and faulty independence, and then lovingly but firmingly bring me back to his plan for me. Are we good now? Not quite. It still hurts, and there are residual effects. 
This story does not end with forgiveness, and it doesn't end with broken dreams either. Many people told us that it takes time to heal, and that's true. We have given it some time, and healing has happened. I still feel angry whenever I think about what happened. I've gone from trying to shove this anger down to trying to be okay with it, to explore the feeling a bit, and to sit with God in the anger, like I know he is sitting with me in it. Despite this, we have learned to communicate a bit better. We remind each other that we are on the same team. We give each other reasons to trust each other. Oh, and God gave us a shared vision and something to work on as well. And we're seeing God's restoration. For the first time, we're dreaming together and living out God's dream for us, doing something together, working on something together to hopefully share God's restoration with others. We feel more deeply together and with our people, which also makes it easier when the past unfairly comes back to haunt us. Our marriage has no secrets anymore and won't. We're training our kids in honesty even when it's hard, especially when it's hard. There's new life that comes from death, and we would never have experienced that on our own. It's still a choice to forgive every day. There are still times where I feel angry. Even in writing out some of my thoughts and feelings here, it brings up a lot of emotions. God continues to walk with us through all of this, though, and continues to bring life out of the death. I just want to say thank you to Dave and Johanna. Um, even though it wasn't their story, they did an amazing job of capturing the emotion. But the reason why this is so important to, to, to go back and, and see this again, it's worth it, because they, they hit on every single aspect of forgiveness. You know, the I still love you, but it hurts. You know, we've, we're reconciling, we're moving forward, but it still comes up. It's never completely gone. And and they, they talk in depth about how do you, you know, how, how they keep working through that and persevering and clinging to God. And so you're going to go back and talk um, about what the basis of our forgiveness is on. And so how do we get that strength to be able to hang in there? Yeah, it's hard to talk after even hearing that. The first time we heard it, it just really touched me. I'd love to know who those people are just because I'd, I'd want to give them a hug. It's just an incredible example of Christian love and Christian forgiveness. It's just, it's probably one of the most powerful stories I've heard in a long time. Um, so just going back to, you know, the groundwork, we've, we've kind of layered things on top of our identity and why could anybody even be able to do such a thing as those guys did and, you know, it's remembering who we are in Christ. It's remembering that really, I don't think without him, we could do that kind of forgiving and loving and uh, reprocessing. And we can never forget what he did for us. And I think what I see sometimes is when people are not able to forgive, I think we forget what kind of sinners we are. In my practice, I would say the most heartbreaking thing I see is Christian families that come in, whether it's brothers and sisters or husbands and wives or even relationships, friendships, 
where they can't get over an offense. And so with no forgiveness, there's no reconciliation. And so those relationships are lost. And I think at the, at the surface, we have to go back to remembering and reminding ourselves what Jesus did for us, that he died for our sins. He died for every one of our sins every day. And for some of us, we grew up in the church and we're kind of, we're good people. We never did any of the big sins. And I would say, honestly, these are the people that I think struggle mostly with the forgiveness because they don't have those big sins. But what can happen, I may not have those big gross sins, but I can hold within my heart unforgiveness and judgmentalism and um, kind of condemnation for those people who do those bigger sins. And so I think we have to remind each other, remind ourselves, think about it. Think about it daily. What did Jesus do for me? Why am I able to live the life that I am the way that I do? What did he do? I think it's got to be a daily reminder because here's the thing. He is going to ask us to do something in return. So he gave us life because he died for us. But he says it doesn't stop there. He says we all have a job to do. And part of our job is to represent him and represent him well. And if I don't understand this most fundamental issue of forgiveness, I cannot love well. I cannot be that witness. And so, will you put on that screen? So, you know, there's, there's a million scriptures in the Bible of what God has done for us, what Jesus has done for us. We, we could be here all week, um, but we're going to read Psalms 103, 10 through 12, where it says, he does not punish us for our sins. He does not deal harshly with us as we deserve, for his unfailing love toward those who fear him is as great as the height of the heavens above the earth. He has removed our sins as far as from the east is from the west, forever, always forgiving us every day for everything. And I just think that's so fundamental to the next step of forgiveness for others. So I like how um, I want to talk about the story of how Jesus taught this to the Apostle Peter. Um, Look at Matthew 18. Peter learned this uh, in a very interesting way from Jesus. It says, And Peter came and said to him, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. So, of course, the first time I, you know, read, you read that, you go, okay, seven times 70 is 490. So, is Jesus something like that? And, um, but... Jesus isn't really saying that 490 times is the magic number either. It's, it's, it's figurative. It, it's, you need to know, uh, the Jewish law at that time stipulated that you should forgive somebody three times. And so Peter is coming to Jesus and saying, I'm going to do even better than that. I'm going to double that number, and then I'm going to add one and uh, say, you know, Lord, I'm going to, should I do it seven times? And The point here is that this is not a one-time event. And as we heard in that video, you know, it's something that just has to be reaffirmed over and over again. And our enemy wants to make sure that we don't reconcile because 
his most powerful weapon against us, especially in when, when we're in community with one another and fellowship with one another, is division. He wants for us to not forgive one another and to have, um, have uh, uh, an enmity between us so that we uh, have bits of unreconciliation that keep us, that pull us apart. And um, so Jesus then uses parables to tell stories or to, to explain his point. And um, so he says, For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. When he had begun to settle them, one who owed him 10,000 talents, which is in today's terms like millions of dollars. It's an unrepayable amount was brought to him, but since he did not have the mean, means to repay, his Lord commanded him to be sold along with his wife and children and all that he had and repayment to be made. So this is an illustration of God's character. You know, back then there was no credit counseling. Uh, the master didn't say, well, we'll set up a payment plan. What happened back in those days is if you couldn't repay a debt, you went to debtor's prison or you were thrown in jail and your family had to, or you were sold, and you know, your family had to, uh, had to work off the debt until it was completely paid off. But the thing that we see here is that the master, who is God in this story, his compassion was immediate. He didn't say, well, let me, we'll take that under advisement and get back to you in a, in a couple of weeks. And it's what God wants us to do. You know, this word says to be uh, slow to anger and quick to listen. And so the story goes on then. It says, so the slave fell to the ground and prostrated himself before him. And, oh, I got ahead of myself. Have patience with me and I will repay you everything. And the Lord of that slave felt compassion and released him and forgave him the debt. And so, Let's keep moving here. But that slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii, which is like 15 bucks. And he seized him and began to choke him, saying, pay back what you owe. So his fellow slave fell to the ground and began to plead with him, saying, have patience with me and I will repay you. But he was unwilling and went and threw him in prison until he should pay back what was owed. And when some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset. And they went to the king and told him everything that had happened. Okay, so I'm, we're stopping here just for a second because I've read the scripture before and looked right over this. So I'm, I'm sharing with you guys. Um, just the picture of, well, first of all, I think it would be so important for us to slow down in our minds and really think through this, like, example of this man, you know, getting down on his knees and begging and and pleading for uh, for mercy here and getting mercy, and then somebody else doing something so minor and then him not forgiving. And so what I picked up on when John and I were just kind of reading through this again was just that the other servants were watching, and they were like, oh, my gosh, like, what in the world? To the point that they went back to the king to tell him. And so I, I don't know. I think it's a piece of this that's important. People are watching They Mm -hmm. are watching. Our kids are watching. Our friends are watching. Our neighbors are watching. And I don't know if any of you guys have ever, um, you know, just seen somebody who was just lavishly given grace after grace or generosity. And 
and all of a sudden you see somebody offend them and they are so quick to not forgive or just to be so offended, you know, and you look at them and you go, oh my gosh, like that is just awful. Anyway, I just, I wanted to throw that in there. I thought it was an interesting point that he's making. So he goes on, it says, then summoning, then summoning him, his Lord said to him, you wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not also have had mercy on your fellow slave in the same way that I had mercy on you? And his Lord moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers until he should repay all that was owed him. My heavenly Father will also do the same to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. Well, it's hard to hear that and not get hung on that word torture. Um, and again, notice that we're not talking about debtor's prison now. We're talking about another level of punishment. Mm-hmm. There's, there's no Geneva Convention back in those days. And so back in those days when you, when you had an egregious sin against the king, you went to the torture chamber. And it was, it was really, really bad. And so that, and, and it's easy to miss this when you're reading this, but the, the sin has gone from not being able to repay millions of dollars to, you know, here's your, you're going to be in prison to now not, forget, not forgiving as you've been forgiven. And it's just a picture of how much more egregious this sin is to God. And I know there's some questions in there, you know, um, my father will do the same to you if you don't forgive your brother uh, from your heart. And there's some, there's some really deep concepts there to, that, to think about. And we're not going to get into that this morning. This is a parable. It's a story. It's an illustration. And so, um, so what are, let's talk about what the consequences of unforgiveness are. So I will say this. I think we cannot overlook what that scripture is saying, though. It just really, because there's a a couple other scriptures that tie into it as well. And why I say that is that this is serious. I mean, this is really, really serious stuff Mm -hmm. as far as God is concerned. It is an egregious act against him. It is so counter to who he is. It's so counter to who he wants us to be. So I don't know. I think we should meditate on it. Uh, I think it's easy. It's been easy to overlook that. I've been convicted myself this week (laughs) just with that. Anyway, so the question being, how does it affect us? What is it like for us to be in a prison or be tortured today? Like, this isn't, we're not talking about eternity. This is for today, what can happen to us. Um, I, I think there's all kinds of things that can happen. First of all, relationally, I think that there's all kinds of ruptures that aren't being repaired. I think when that happens, people experience anxiety, they experience depression, they experience all kinds of physical issues. Um, You know, thinking about the families. So we've got mom and dads and brothers and sisters, and think about it in your own homes. If I, as a child, do not feel like my parent forgives me for an offense or my brother, or my sister, or my wife, or my husband, just what does that feel like? How does that emotionally sit with you in those relationships? It's hard. 
it affects every part of our life, and I feel like I am not being loved or accepted or forgiven. It's, it's very hard. And I think sometimes um, we just have to remind ourselves that I have to say this to parents a lot, and I have to say it to myself a lot with people in general, is that most of us are just really trying to do our very, very best. And so if I have that mindset with the people in my home, my friendships, my home church, uh, we're just doing our best. And if I don't have that mindset toward each other, I leave others potentially with this sense of, uh, you know, not only feeling sad on their end, but myself. It's going to affect me because God says he's going to allow it to affect you because he cannot have it. He can't have it. So it kind of goes back to what we talked about when the admonishment phase of that assuming positive intent, yes. giving others the benefit of the doubt, yep. uh, coming at it from that standpoint. So, so how do we know, what are some telltale signs if we're struggling with unforgiveness? And there's actually a couple of, or a number of indicators that you can look out for. For instance, if you're out in your garage or you're doing lawn work, or something, and you're working, you know, kind of mindless activity, and you keep playing an event over and over again in your head, and I don't know why this is such a descriptive explanation for me, but um, I'm a ruminator. You know, I will think through a conversation or an event, uh, and, you know, you think, man, if I, here's, this is what I would say if we, you know, if I was ever in that situation again is you know and so just playing it over and over again that's an indication that you're struggling with unforgiveness or that there's something an event that you need to address or a situation that you need to address um another one is to gather evidence so if somebody if you have been offended and there is it's an emotionally charged situation it's human nature to when you watch that person or interact with that person, to gather evidence to support how you're feeling. Whether you feel good about somebody or you feel bad about somebody, either way, you will, by nature, gather evidence as you watch and observe that person and listen to that person to support how you're feeling. Bandwagoning. You know, and this is probably more common with... Uh, with, with kids, because kids, kids talk so much at school and everything, and they're at the table that, you know, oh, yeah, dude, let me tell you what that person did to me, you know, or what she said to me. And so when you hear somebody talking about somebody, you know, they tend to jump on the bandwagon and, you know, join in to that conversation, particularly when it's a negative conversation. Seeking alliances. So if you've been offended, one of the things that I've seen a lot of, and we've been you know, cell group leaders and home church leaders through various churches for years and years. Um, and I see this over and over again. is When somebody's offended, the first thing that they do is they go to dinner with everybody. <laughs> or they start, they get really social. And when you tell, when you're in an emotionally charged, again, situation or an event that you want to, that you're hurt over and you want to talk to people about it, it is impossible to relay that event to other people in a completely neutral way. 
your emotions are going to take over and you may say, well, you know, I did some things too, but, and they're saying, but you're just, it's just going to happen that way. It's just going to come off just a little bit in your favor, just enough to get people to say, oh yeah, well, yeah, I agree. You're right. And so, so that's that process of seeking alliances. You're gathering an army, if you will, to make yourselves feel right about your position, uh, particularly over a disagreement. And then finally is passive aggressive. So this is one of my one of my personal favorite um, weapons to use in unforgiveness. And so this is just really a matter of being shut down. You know, I'm not gonna. Yeah, I'll forgive that person. That's no problem. I'm over it. It's good. We're moving on. But I'm not. I'm just not gonna talk to them, or I'm gonna be shut down, or I'm not gonna be friendly. We're not gonna have that same you know, joking, friendly relationship. We're just going to, you know, and, I'm, and, and I've seen this, you know, I'm going to act really friendly and joking with other people around me, especially in front of that person. But um, so uh, needling somebody, pushing buttons to evoke some type of a anger response um, or really to go, it can go so far as to sever the relationship in its entirety. And so all of these behaviors are sinful. Really, they're bad, but we, it's normal because we're human. We wrestle with these things. We struggle with them, and, and it's just something to look out for to see if this kind of behavior is, is, is coming out of me. Um, but we, it's not our place to exact revenge or exact vengeance against people. In fact, in Romans, Paul says, Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God, for the scriptures say, I will take revenge, I will pay them back, says the Lord. And you know, I have seen this over and over and over again. It is true. It, it does happen. And the, so the thing to do, really, in these situations is to pray. And it's just like that video that we saw today. I mean, it would be very easy to be vengeful in that situation with that type of hurt. But that couple came together, and they prayed. And they came in the, their fellowship group. They, they sought fellowship, and, and they had people praying for them. And uh, they didn't, he didn't exact revenge, even though it was hard. And you could just see how their relationship healed then over time. So when we seek forgiveness, then, part of that forgiveness is the apology process. How do we go about... Uh, 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 asking or doing a healthy apology, I guess I should say. Yeah. Um, so I just wanted to add you know, just to that scripture, God is the great vindicator, isn't mm-hmm. he? And yeah. we've definitely seen that. Um, and I'm going to also mention again the girls from Cell Group. The answers that they gave when Sheila asked them, how do you know if you've forgiven from the heart? I, that's pretty impressive, you parents. I don't know whose kids they belong to, but whoever... Good job. They belong to. I mean, really, they gave a picture of uh, how you really do forgive from the heart. So you guys are doing a good job raising them. So I'm going to touch a little bit about what uh, my part of this has been all along as far as the apologies. And you got the, you got that up there. How do we know? Um, as far as the secure connecting and the insecure connecting and the whole attachments that we have and Again, you know, we talked about comfort. What was our memory of comfort growing up? 
Um, what was my memory of conflict going up, growing up? And so today we're talking about what was my memory of forgiveness growing up? What did it look like in my family to have uh, a rupture and then a repair? I mean, did you experience that with your sister and your brother? Like, was there a time that you felt like there was relief because you guys said you were sorry to each other? Did you see that with your parents? Did they act passive-aggressive after you thought things were repaired or not? And so, again, going back to our histories, not making our parents bad, our family bad, it's just what was my experience growing up? Because if I don't take a minute to reflect on that, I can't really grow and change. I'm just going to keep doing the same thing that I'm doing today as an adult or wherever we are at in our age, ages. Um, because it does have an effect on us. If I am somebody who did not experience healthy forgiveness, which is up on the screen, I am certainly not going to know how to do that in my marriage or with my friendships. And so first think about that, and then I'm going to kind of give you some indicators as far as where you might stand as far as how you perceive and give forgiveness. So if I'm somebody like like John, we've talked about John being a little bit more on the avoidantly attached side, and that's because that was the history he grew up around. Um, they never talked about emotions in his house, and so I think for some people, their tendency is to not be able to admit weaknesses, right. not be able to admit, um, yeah, weaknesses. And so, and they don't like emotions. They don't like intense emotions. And so uh, your tendency might be more to just want to say, yeah, 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 sorry. Yeah, yep, yeah, yep, yeah, and, and want to move on. Let's move on. Yeah. All right, it's over. We talked about it. Right. Yep. Now, I, on the other hand, because I am a pleaser, you know, I am super, super sensitive to rejection, whether it's from my family, my friends, whatever, my neighbors. If I'm super sensitive to rejection, and my friend or my husband says, yep, 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 sorry, we're moving on. And I say, well, you don't seem very sorry. Well, that's going to create more emotion. And then sometimes that person might turn away from me thinking that, oh, gosh, she's just being sensitive or he's just being sensitive. I said I was sorry. Okay, we're good, right? Got it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that's not a good situation. So there's the, there are those tendencies. And then there's my tendency that I'm going to be hypervigilant to rejection and I might be super anxious about even admitting that I've done something wrong because in my mind growing up, if I admitted I did something wrong, well, something bad might happen. And so I'm afraid that if I tell you I've done something wrong, there's a possibility that now you're going to be mad at me, you're not going to like me or whatever. And so I'm just going to be all emotional and anxious and try to please. I might try to do something to make up for it, but not really take it in and, and do, go to the, to the lengths I need to go to to make sure that there's a repair. And then there's another tendency, and I would say this tendency comes from somebody who grew up in a family where there was considerable inconsistent relationship from mom and dad or whoever their caretaker was. I couldn't really depend on that person. And when there was a rupture, there might have been a lot of anger. There might have been a lot of passive aggression. And so for that tendency, it might be that that person wants to do repair, wants an apology. Um, and you might say to that person, yeah, I really noticed that I, you know, I was 
I really wasn't considering your feelings and I'm really sorry. And that person will love the apology, but unfortunately it reactivates the emotions. And then all of a sudden that person is like, hey, well, what about this? And then you get in this cycle of anger and you don't ever get the repair. And so I want you guys to kind of consider where you might land. Because if we slow down long enough to understand where do I land on all of this, um, then I have kind of a, a picture going forward of, okay, that's not healthy. It hasn't done me well. <laughs> I haven't been able to successfully repair. What do I need to do? And it may be that whoever you are married to, your brothers, sisters, friends in home church, cell group, whatever, ask people, like, what is it like? What is it like hmm. being around you when there's a conflict and, and there's forgiveness? At least you think there's forgiveness. Ask people. Grow from this. Understand that we all come, not we all, there are those small percentages. I think it's like 25% of the people come from securely attached families where they were able to witness a parent have a rupture, and then they saw the repair. If I grew up in a home that I saw parents upset or there was tension, and then all of a sudden they come back out of the bedroom and everything's good, I'm really happy. There's not a lot of tension in my family. But I grew up to be an adult that has no idea how to repair. Like, how did they get to that, to this? And so you just have to think through this stuff. And so this is kind of, um, you know, an extensive list, I think, of what we may need to mentally go through if I am in a position of in a ruptured relationship. And for some of these attachments, especially the ones that have been wounded more in their childhood, they can't feel a repair they can't feel relief until all those things are kind of gone through and I think that's where we have to kind of lay our life down for each other I have to recognize if my spouse isn't settled if I can't notice a a noticeable relief in them I got to go back I got to go back I got to keep asking the questions um I'm trying to think if there's anything else I want to say about that one of the interesting one is uh, when appropriate seek physical touch and so yes. for, for you married couples out there, when you're uh, asking for forgiveness, um, when you've offended your spouse, um, that is a great point because I, and I, I, we've used this a lot. And you say, you know, I'm sorry I've offended you. I'm sorry for what I did, you know, and I need to ask for your forgiveness. I want to ask for your forgiveness. And then she says, yes, I forgive you. you, know, or, will, or even will you forgive me? And this is kind of a how-to, because what happens is when we ask that question, uh, it kind of puts the, the responsibility on them and allows the Holy Spirit to work on them to really work through the forgiveness. And then, you know, to come back, and if she says, yes, I forgive you, and this is not necessarily just marriage, but any kind of relationship, to say, and then move to, like, for a hug or whatever. And if she's, she's coming in for the hug, we're good, right? But if she is like, eh, and kind of giving me the, side hug. yeah, then I know that there's something, that there's, we're, we're not there yet. Yeah. And that's how, and, and this, again, it works on all kinds of relationships in an important, inappropriate way, of course. But the, and then, of course, the next question is, it seems like there's something else or I've done something else to offend you. Could you please help me to understand what that is? Yeah, I'm so glad you mentioned that because I totally forgot about that part. 
And it's going back to that being accessible, being responsive, being engaged, what we've been saying all along. It is really critical to the repair process, so thank you. I totally forgot about that part. Yeah. yeah. Good. It's easy to say, hey, so we good? Yeah, we're good. Mm -hmm. Okay, let me go back to what I'm yeah. doing. All right. So uh, let's move through here as we wrap up just some principles on what forgiveness is and is not. Um, so forgiveness is, I think I reversed these headers. I did. Oh, I didn't catch that in a review. So turn them around in your head, okay? <laughs> forgiveness is not a feeling, right? Yeah. And we, we okay. saw that in the video, right? And we talked about that a lot. It is a choice. And it is a choice based on truth. Forgiveness is not forgetting the offense. This is kind of funny. So this is how not to do a yeah. teaching on forgiveness. Um, you know, you've heard the expression, forgive and forget. It's bogus. <laughs> okay, we don't forgive and forget. Uh, because we can't. It's in our brain. You know, it's, sta it's, it's stamped in our psyche. We can't forget it. But it is choosing not to use the offense to punish another person. And that's a key. It is not a once-for-all event. Again, we saw that um, today in the video, but it is an ongoing decision that needs to be reaffirmed over and over. Forgiveness is a process. So, uh, Forgiveness is not trust. If somebody's offended you, you don't, you're not called to trust that person again. But it is, you don't, it, it is allowing that person to rebuild trust over time, and when it's appropriate. So that's moving towards that person in love. We don't have to trust other people. That trust is a choice. But loving somebody is allowing them to rebuild your trust at the right time. Forgiveness is not passive intolerance. In other words, you don't have to stay in that place and be abused or be hurt. It's not, that's not what forgiveness is. There's room for healthy boundaries. And then finally, forgiveness is not reconciliation. Reconciliation and forgiveness are two things. Forgiveness, though, is being willing to work towards that reconciliation. So reconciliation is the end goal of forgiveness. It, it, we, we agree to reconcile. I shouldn't say end goal. Actually, it's, 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 the, um, it's the overarching principle of forgiveness is that, yes, we've agreed to reconcile this uh, this offense in our relationship, in our friendship, in our marriage, uh, with our children. Uh, and we're going to continue to work towards that over time. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. um, we've got 20 seconds. Closing thoughts? All right, final thoughts. So, I guess my final thought would be just that God is a God of reconciliation. It's key, it's fundamental, it's foundational to our to our witness, to our life as Christians, um, and that God is the God of mercy. And his mercies are new for us every day, every minute of every day. And he asks us to, in turn, do that for others. Yeah, and forgiveness really is a picture of grace. And it's so easy to claim that grace for ourselves. Um, and... And it's very easy to not give that grace to other people if we don't really understand how much we ourselves need that grace.
for ourselves. And the more we understand that, the more sinful that we see uh, that we really are as we unpeel the layers. You know, it's like the more spiritually mature you get, the more ingrained that you find that your sin is and how much you need God's grace. Um, so the more we understand that, the easier it is to move towards forgiveness with other people. And so, uh, so as is our normal habit, we'd like to leave you with a, a really relevant scripture, and that is this week it's uh, in Ephesians, where it says, Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. And instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. So, I'm going to add one quote because I just, I just recently heard this. Okay, you didn't Go ahead. <laughs> you got the mic. Um, so I just heard this recently, and I loved it. And it just, the quote says this, We never look so much like God as to when we forgive one another. Mm. And we never, I'm going to say it better, we never look more not like God when we don't forgive one another. Hopefully I said that right. So next week is the wrap-up to the series. We're going to bring it all together. So we've gone through all of these principles, and as you can see, under grace, they all weave together very, very closely. And so next week is acceptance. And um, so we're really looking forward to that and hope to see you all here. So will you pray with us? Father, we thank you uh, that you came to this earth and, and... humbled yourself and took the position of a slave and laid down your life for us, uh, paid uh, a, a terrible cost and suffered and died on our behalf, Lord, so that you could forgive us and help us to and remind us daily, God, of how we need your forgiveness. Uh, show us how much that we rely on your grace for ourselves and um, just... Uh, Move our hearts, change our hearts, God. When we're hardened and when we're, we're, we're feeling hurt or offended, um, help us to see that. And um, we just thank you that we can claim your grace, that we can claim your forgiveness um, for our own sinful hearts. And um, uh, just pray, Lord, that we can faithfully extend that forgiveness and that grace to other people. And that in so doing that, the world would see that we're from you and um, pray that we could be a city on a hill in that way. So we pray these prayers in Jesus' name. Amen.